you guys might not recognize it, but to me, that's the sound of home. After uh, many months of travel, it's good to relax back here in Bali and uh, to be here on Kuta Beach and to join you all. Solo edition of Tropical Talk Radio tonight. It's the weekend. You guys don't care, right? I know what you're all doing tomorrow. I'm trying to hide it. I know you're going to wake up, get on that laptop, start hustling. Let's get moving. Yeah, buddy, you've downloaded Tropical Talk Radio, where we talk about all things entrepreneurship, travel, and lifestyle. If you're interested in more about this program, check out tropicalmba.com. And if you sign up for our mailing list, I will personally send you 50 free podcast episodes that take you along on our journey and expose the insider story on how we started a million-dollar, honest-to-goodness product business while we traveled the globe. Happy, happy hour, everybody. It's Tropical Talk Radio. Uh, this is uh, coming to you direct from Bali. Actually, just landed yesterday. dc or Tom Malali kindly put me up in his fine apartment in the Legion area, central area of Bali. Just got here from Chiang Mai, so uh, what do you say we do a little bit of a Chiang Mai versus Bali? What the hell? Uh, I'm famous for my uninformed opinions. I was only in Chiang Mai for a working week or so, but I've got some opinions about it. And it is the verifiable digital nomad, internet entrepreneur capital of the world for bootstrappers. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Today's episode is going to be a short one. I'm going to talk about 10 red flags or inefficiencies, things that you need to look for in your business, and uh, maybe some things that you can uh, do about them. I also have a couple news updates. First on Chiang Mai, here's the thing. Um, I think the interesting thing about Chiang Mai, you, you, you look at the blogosphere, of people talking about baselining, which is this concept of reducing your expenses as low as possible so that you can earn back your time and then build assets. This is a concept I absolutely love, especially as uh, someone who enjoys their work. I consider myself a little bit of a creative entrepreneur. And so the, the idea that you could take $15,000 and buy a year of your time by moving to one of these places in Southeast Asia that's renowned for its low cost of living is awesome. And Chiang Mai has sort of been singled out, and it's, a, it's, a, it's the second largest city in Thailand. It's in the north, so it's about a 50-minute flight north of Bangkok. It's been singled out by bloggers, travel bloggers in particular, as the number one spot in the world to baseline. And I got to say, I agree. It's, it's really um, a, a, an amazing place, and for a few reasons. The first thing is, is in places like Bali and, and Vietnam, it's definitely possible to live on $1,000 a month or even less. And it's been outlined countless ways on the internet how you can do that. But uh, the, the interesting thing about Chiang Mai is the inertial expense level. So what I mean by that is, if you come to Bali here where I'm hanging out and you sort of pick up your phone when your friends call and you sort of go out to the restaurants that people go out to and you hang out with the crowd, so to speak, um, you're probably going to spend about $2,000 a month, depending on what your lifestyle is like. So in other words, you have to make a concerted effort. The difference between a place like Bali and Chiang Mai is that if you just go inertial in Chiang Mai, you're going to be spending $1,000 a month. You do get more bang for your buck. So I guess the, the question then is, is why come back to Bali? And uh, part of it is just, you know, I'm going to be spending this month writing my book. And so I wanted to come back to a place where I don't have to figure everything out. Um, I know Bali really well and I can operate here. And so I spend less of my time on lifestyle overhead. 
Um, you know, the, the other reason is that Chiang Mai doesn't quite have the vibe. There's something special about Bali. I don't really know how to how to describe it, but you feel like you're somewhere where something's really happening. And of course, you know, right now I can literally uh, throw a football into the ocean, and and that's how that's how I like to keep it. All right, enough of the Chiang Mai. Uh, Bali stuff. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, and I'll be working on a blog post about that. If you guys don't know, this week, this month, uh, November is Nano Rimo. Uh, it's so it's only the second of November. So if you want to write a novel, now is uh, your opportunity to have cohorts. I'm actually going to be following along um, with the whole scene, but instead I'll be writing my first nonfiction business book. Uh, if you want to join up with me and uh, get that first book published, you know, I really think when I look back at the history of my business, it's when I set aside time in sort of a, a, a bold way to take on big projects. I remember, for example, when I bought my company, um, it took me about three to four weeks to execute that deal. And, and this was in December of 2010. And I literally did nothing for that whole month but work on that deal. And um, that's really tough to do when you need to make money. You know, it's really tough to do when there's a lot of moving pieces just to sort of clear your entire desk and say, this is going to happen. It's going to be a game changer. It's going to be important. You know, I like, I like to say, you know, even uh, even my favorite authors like Hemingway has written many of, many awful books. I'm just going to write a bad one and ship it out. So I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, you guys reading it and giving me your feedback. So the next one will be bomb. Speaking of bomb, we want to make bomb businesses. And uh, so quickly, I'm going to run through 10 business red flags. If you've got any of this stuff going on in your business, it's time to take a second look and to create a new strategy. Number one, if you catch yourself saying, if I could just get 2% of the total marketplace, this is a huge problem, okay? Um, this is something that when people say this, you should have a red flag going up in your head immediately. You need to be thinking about not uh, penetration into total markets, but you need to think about customer development with your first line of customers. And, and be sure when you say the word marketplace that you're not confusing marketplace with a demographic. When it comes to bootstrapped businesses, a marketplace is a demonstrated cash flow. So cat owners is a demographic. People who buy cat furniture are a marketplace because that's a cash flow. So you want to focus at the beginning of your business not on penetration into a total marketplace, but you want to focus focus on how much you can tap into an existing cash flow, how many products you need to sell in order to get your business alive, to survive, to eat at night. That's the number you want to be focused on, not if I can get 2% of everybody that has X iPhone app to sign up for my thing, red flag. I don't like it. Number two, all the sites out there in this niche look like crap. Why don't we just do something that looks good? That's right. If your differentiator is design or user experience alone, I think this is a red flag. I've seen it happen from time to time, but this is one of the things that Ian and I check out our website, moderncatdesigns.com. You know, one of the things that we were motivated to get into that marketplace is because we thought everything that exists, man, it's really crappy out there. Uh, you know, no one has a design sensibility. No one's having like a branded approach. And, and we saw some of these cat retailers sort of doing branding stuff. And we were like, that's what our differentiator is going to be. Well, it didn't really work out so well. And the problem is, is that no one really has 
this isn't a real problem for people. Now, I, I concede in certain with certain stuff. I mean, if you talk about what hip monks done for online airline booking, fair enough. But I just want to um, uh, having an e-commerce site that looks better than your competitors. If that's the only reason you're getting into the marketplace, just take a second look at that and ask yourself if there's really a problem there to be solved and if it's really an opportunity. Also, by the way, there can be a second red flag here, which is sometimes there's a reason why all the sites in a niche have really bad or old or outdated designs. So something to look at. It could be that those are working, but also could be that those people aren't making enough money to invest in that niche. Something to think about. Red flag number three, you're throwing traffic at, a, at the problem. This is a very common one. We talk about it a lot. Um, you know, you're not providing enough value. I just see this so much. I mean, we had uh, one business breakdown at DCBKK that concerned me a little bit and I have to follow up on is, you know, people were basically saying, you got everything in line. Now you just need more traffic, more traffic, more traffic. Well, it's like, if you can't make, uh, um, uh, you know, this is a spreadsheet problem, but if you can't sit down with your first 100 users and figure out a way to make it profitable, tossing on the next 1,000 is gonna crush you financially. So, I mean, you gotta, you gotta find a way to make your business profitable and convert right away out of the gate. Throwing traffic at a problem is super expensive way to solve a problem. Um, you know, they, it's, the best customer is the one that you already have. The best user is the one that you already have. So if it's not working for them, um, don't think that there's, there's greener users on the other side of the fence. Generally, there's not. Number four, if you ever hear somebody say, I got this guy who's got a great connection with X person, or we just need to get mentioned on X blog, or we just need to put out a piece of content that goes viral. You could call this douche networking. This just stuff doesn't work, you know, because it's, again, it's similar to the traffic problem is that you're going to need to be consistently compelling to the users and, and the customers that you're coming across. So just chucking a bunch of exposure on top of what you're doing. If you can't say something to, you know, someone who has the problem you're trying to solve, you know, whether that's me or, uh, you know, try it out on some people. If it's not working for them, chucking a couple thousand people at it or some guy with some influence or whatever, forget about it. That's not, that's not, that's not going to solve your problem. And a lot of times this is, again, this is emotional resistance. It's a lot easier to, to call up some big guy that you met one time than it is to go out and get your first five customers. All right. Number five red flag is crappy partnerships, crappy partnerships forming the foundations to crappy small businesses. We talk about this a lot. If you've got a minority stake, in a small businesses or if you've got two partners and you're you're they're tag teaming up at the beginning because you know one guy does tech and one guy does marketing i just really want you to take a step back and ask yourself are these people in it for the long haul um, because in small businesses skillshare is a little bit less relevant than in larger businesses and that's because times are going to be tight for years most likely you know you're gonna be spending two three four years cracking away at this small business with that person. You got to have a really solid relationship with that person. You got to be friends. And if your relationship's built solely on the fact that X person knows Python and you know you're some marketing genius, that's going to be really tough when cash is tight to keep that alive. And people are going to be having this, this scenario of the race to the bottom where it's like, all right, screw you. I'm the Python guy. I delivered the app to you. Now I'm going to go make some real money while you figure this business stuff out. Well, that's not the kind of partner that you need, especially when you're writing 50 cents on the dollar to this guy because he wrote a software program uh, you know, a couple years ago. I love this, this metaphor of in a small business, you go to war. 
And, you know, that's why it's important to have these strong partnerships that are founded on trust and communication in order to go to war. All right, number six, you're confusing goals with strategies. Been talking a lot about this one lately because I'm reading this book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, which I would recommend uh, to the listeners. Um, Here's the goal. I want to increase my company by 20%. Here's a goal. I want to have the best podcast in the world. And here's the thing. A lot of people run their business off of goals. In fact, the last business I worked for uh, reading this book, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, our month, our, our annual reports were, um, were, were essentially a list of goals. And one of the things that I was, I didn't know at the time, but one of the things I was good at was putting out plans of actions. And now plans of actions that solve problems, those aren't tactics. Those are strategies. Strategies address problems with explicit and legible plans of action. So a strategy would be, I'm going to publish my income reports to a blog every Friday and discuss it with influencers. That's a strategy that solves a traffic problem. It solves a trust problem. It solves a customer acquisition problem. A strategy might be, I'm going to move to buy a house in Bali for my graphic design company, and I'm going to hire graphic designers for 25% of the cost of the competition. So another thing strategies do is they jam on a point of leverage. So you could have a graphic design company. You could say, you know, I'm going to increase by 20% next year, and I'm going to try to lower my cost by 20%. But that's not really a strategy, is it? A strategy identifies a point of leverage. Say, uh, I know this arbitrage scheme that's going to allow my staffing costs to be reduced by 75%. And I'm going to jam on that and measure it and see if that solves the problem I'm trying to solve, which is that, you know, basically I'm, I'm having to compete on price with, with people and I'm getting no margin out of it. So this is a way to increase uh, or to solve the mar- margin problem. And then tactics, of course, would be something that, uh, a way in which you execute that strategy. We don't, we're not going to get into that. This is a much longer uh, podcast, but something to think about. Are you confusing goals with strategies? And do you have strategies? What are they? And what problems are they addressing? And can you measure the outcomes of those strategies? All right, number seven, you can't convert high-level JV partners. I'm going to give a shout to my boy Ian Borders on this one. I just absolutely love this moment at DCBKK, our meetup in Bangkok a few weeks ago when someone asked a really cool question. You know, what What if I'm having a problem getting these big JV partners on? It's, it's, so, it's so easy when you think about this stuff in theory, you know, like, yeah, if I want to get a JV partner, like a famous internet marketer to support my product, there's a step-by-step process for relationship building or whatever. And uh, so I sort of expected Ian to give kind of a stock answer in that respect. And what he ended up saying was so cool, which is, look, if you can't convince this person in your industry who understands the value proposition of what you're doing to get on board with your product, then how can you expect people who know less to get on board with your product? And I think this is a fantastic response because a lot of times while we're thinking about how our launch is and how our product's going to be in theory, you know, it's easy to be in this fantasy land like, well, you know, uh, people are going to just buy it because people buy stuff and, and, you know, this and that. And that's all that's all bullshit. You know, it's like um, the product has to be good and it has to be good enough to get people that uh, know what they're talking about to get on board. So if you can't get those people on board, that's a red flag. All right. So number eight, you can't hypothetically put a buy now button on your concept in less than a week. I call this product dev creep. You know, even if, here's the thing, even if you've got an app or a hard goods product that maybe takes 
It's going to take you a couple months to develop the final thing. If you can't put a pre-sale offer up on your website within seven days, you've got a problem. And the problem is, is you don't know what you're doing. And this sounds simple, but it's not because I see so many people, you know, they're selling their time as freelancers or they're in sort of startup phase where they're quote developing a product and they just have no friggin' clue what they are developing. And, and I think the way to solve this is to sit yourself down and put a, put a buy now button on it. It's like, it's like make it like Beyonce, man. Put a ring on it. Put a buy now button on this stuff. Pre-sale, pre-order. This is what it is. Give me your money for this. Send it back if you don't have, you know, actually where just have the buy now button go through to a, a, a 404 or whatever, an opt-in page. My point is, is if you can't say clearly what you're doing, or if you're letting some supplier or some piece of information that you don't have yet define what's gonna, what it's going to be, that's a red flag. You need to be able to put a buy now button on whatever you're doing in seven days. Well, number nine, you don't have an accountant or a P&L involved. Shout to Brennan Tully. Brennan Tully uh, and I both have are of the same advice that I wish I would have gotten an accountant involved in our business earlier. And in fact, Ian and I are making a project right now of going out and getting a dedicated financial guy um, for our business that's sort of separated and sort of at the umbrella level, at the 40,000 foot level of our business, because we're not gonna make the same mistake again when we made in our first business, which is not to get solid financial advice. And by the way, having an accountant on your team is a lot different than having a bookkeeper on your team. This isn't somebody just filling out spreadsheets. This is someone advising you financially about the health of your company and what you're doing, because it all comes down to this stuff. If, if you just go into your PayPal account and seeing how much money you have in there, you're not moving fast enough. There could be some real issues in your business. You might not be deploying cash fast enough. You might not uh, have real clear visibility on what you, you know, whether you're not you're even cash flow positive or how much money you're dropping to the bottom line on a month to month basis. We call that what our belt line is. You know, what level of income do we have to get to every month in order to break even? If your business is still intuitive to you, and financially, you need to move faster. You need to move faster. You need to put the stuff into real uh, financial monitoring software, whether it's Zero or QuickBooks, and you need to get a financial advisor involved as soon as possible. Of course, you know, when you're bootstrapping it first six months, that's fine. Shoebox everything. But the moment things start getting crack a lacking, you know, drop the couple hundred bucks and get your ass into the chair across from somebody who knows what's going on and has dealt, and, and this is an important part, that has dealt with companies like yours in the past. This is going to be an invaluable process. Get your ass in that chair ASAP, and if you don't feel like you need to be in that chair, you're wrong. So that's a red flag. Finally, number 10, you aren't hiring. If you aren't hiring, if you're not pulling out the value. So, so you're as an entrepreneur, as a hustler, you're sort of hovering over the value space and you're creating it and you're giving yourself a lot of credit, right? People pay me for this. People pay me because I, I gave them consulting. Well, th no, they didn't really. What, what they paid you for, there's something more fundamental. There's a principle at play. There's a process that underlines what you were doing that you were just participating in. You were participating in the value equation there. So what entrepreneurs do is they see that. They extract themselves from the situation. What was the structure to the value equation there? And when you pull that out and turn it into a process, that's what entrepreneurs do, okay? And that's what hiring forces you to do. It forces you to look at what was it that was valuable in the relationships in my company? And how can I get other people to participate in that value equation 
So I go hang out on the yacht this weekend. Stop giving yourself credit. You're participating in an equation that you can pull out and then plug somebody else into. And that doesn't need to be based on you. And I think that that's something. So, so show confidence. The next thing is you're not willing to sacrifice personal income. If you're not willing, you know, if you just want to make 80 grand a year and you're not willing to give away the 40 of it in order to reinvest in your business, you're not going to grow something scalable. And this is, this is a game of entrepreneurial chicken that I see a lot of people playing. It's like, well, I'll make 80 grand for a couple of years. And then maybe the opportunity passes and you get a little complacent and you don't evolve the business because you haven't been investing in it because instead you've been running the business, right? And so I think uh, if you're not willing to hire, it's a sign of these weaknesses. And uh, it's a sign of the weakness of the product if you have to douse your product with yourself. And you know that was sort of the case with the first few sessions of the Tropical MBA because there was no real process in place for allowing upstart entrepreneurs to start a business. So instead what I did was I said, fine, just talk to me. I'll help everybody out individually, you know? And, and that hurts the customer and it hurts my ability to create future value, right? Because, uh, you know, it depends on how on I am in the moment or how perceptive I am uh, to their particular issues. And it doesn't last. It's not a lasting value that they can keep coming back to. So ask yourself, are you dousing your business with you? It sounds sexy, but it doesn't work. All right. Hey, this is uh, Tropical Talk Radio. I hope you have a fantastic weekend hustling. If you got any questions for me, you think I can help you out with your business, that's what I do. I do it full time. So send me an email, dan at tropicalmba.com. I'll see you next Friday. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list. Check it out at tropicalmba.com. Get yourself signed up and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do. Plus, give you those 50 free podcast episodes. If you want to say, hey, check me out on Twitter at Tropical MBA. We'll see you soon.